AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by Brain MD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hot Happy Mess. Celebrate your magic in the middle of life's messes. Hot Happy Mess. I'm Zuri Hall, and this is Hot Happy Mess. Oh, shoot. (laughs) What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Hot Happy Mess. I am your host, Zuri Hall, and I am very much looking forward to this next conversation. You know, we are all about uh, doing the work here on the podcast, uh, digging into how and why we are the way we are, and also what we can do about it, right? What is within our our power, our control um, to change or understand and oftentimes just accept, which can often be the hardest thing to do. Uh, so you're really going to love our next guest. Today, I'm joined by Kobe Campbell. She is a licensed trauma therapist, author, wellness advocate, podcaster, and mother. Woo! Doing it all and making it look good. She's releasing her debut book, Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith. It's dropping April 4th. And before I get into all the nitty gritty uh, of what we can expect with this book, how it's going to help change your life, uh, hi, Kobe. 
How you doing? <laughs> good. I'm good. Excited to talk with you today. Excited to jump into all the things. All of the things. I've got to let everyone know. Uh, Kobe is low-key out here, okay? On TikTok, she's got <laughs> over 100,000 followers. Several of her videos and the sounds have gone viral, um, including a viral video you may have seen where she describes that healing is not becoming the best version of yourself, but letting the worst version of yourself be loved. I love, love, love that. Uh you also share gems about health and wellness and healing on your podcast. Um, talk to me about that viral moment just for a second. What do you think it was that resonated most with people about accepting the worst version of yourself or letting that version be loved instead of trying to just become your best self? Oh my goodness. I think without even realizing that we had language for it, a lot of us know that the version of healing that we have been told and taught in many ways requires us to do the very things to ourselves that were done to us that traumatized us, right? Like it was rejection and abandonment and shame that made us feel like we weren't worthy of good things in our lives. And then we're kind of taught to turn around and reject a version of ourselves, kill off this version of yourself, you know, push away this version of yourself. And like, how can you come to a place of true wellness by perpetuating the same hurtful things to yourself that you're healing from when other people did it to you? You know, Mm. and so I think that resonated with people because they were like, I know I wasn't like the best version of myself, but I still love myself at that time. Like two things can be true. I was struggling and I was doing the best I could. And what if I got to see myself through the lens of I was doing the best I could instead of this version of me doesn't deserve space or time or to be seen and loved. Right. I think it's so hard sometimes for us to extend grace to ourselves, right? It's like the same way that we show up for love and try to unconditionally accept the people closest to us in our lives, whether it's our children, our partner, a best friend. It's so hard for us sometimes to offer that same energy to ourselves to say, no, I am worthy of this love and acceptance and celebration as I am if another thing never changed about me. Absolutely. And I think it's because sometimes we conflate acceptance with laziness. Mm. Like, it's like you're accepting yourself. Like, no, you need to be working. You need to be developing. You need to be growing. But sometimes the development is just in reflecting and saying, I see why I did that. Wow. I see why I was here instead of how can I move from point A to point B? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'm excited to talk more about it before we get into the thick of your new book that's coming out, why why you wrote it and what you hope people take away. Let's just get to know Kobe a little bit more. Uh, so first of all, tell me everything. Tell me all of the things we are talking to you. You're in Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into this work, what you love, what are you doing for fun? Yes. So yes, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you know, you know when you meet people and they're like, share your name, where you're from, and a fun fact. So my fun fact is that I'm a twin and I have the same first name as my twin sister. Um, my family's from Ghana, West Africa, and the tribe my parents are from. Um, your first name is based on the day you were born, and since we're twins, we have the same first name. Um what does Kobe mean? So Kobe is actually my middle name. Oh, okay. Oh, so that's how you switched it up, my your twin sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's we had to because it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. When we were born, they literally gave us the same social security number because they were just like someone submitted the same thing twice. Stop. 
<laughs> yeah, so um, Ya is my first name, which means born on Thursday, and Kobe means princess. Okay, so, princess. I like to bask in that as much as I possibly can. Yes, girl, soak um, it up. Let the people know. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, my husband's a twin, too. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, yeah, my husband's a twin. We both have lots of twins that run in our families, mm-hmm. and we haven't had any twins. <laughs> I don't know if my body could take that. So y'all y'all may not have seen it if you're listening, but she just crossed her fingers as if to imply that she is not trying to manifest twins. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at Okay, all. it's a no. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a really, I love the work I do and I love, I, I tell people I'm a trauma therapist, but I don't feel like my calling is to help people heal from trauma. My calling is to help people live lives that they love. And trauma is the tool, like dealing with trauma, working through trauma is the tool that God's given me to help people get to the goal of living the lives they love. So many of us have just a clear vision of like, who we want to be on the inside, but for some reason it just can't come out. There's just so many invisible barriers and my job is to help people work through process, scale those invisible barriers. And I started doing this work because I struggled with my own depression, my own anxiety. And I was just kind of like, I know that the intangible things that people have said to me really wounded me, but everything around me told me they're just words. But something didn't feel like just words. Like the way it affected me was more than that. And so I like, you know, had a really hard moment. I share it in the book. In 2013, I was in college, had a suicide attempt and had just like this miraculous moment where God was just like, no, you're going to live and you have a purpose for your life. And that was the moment for me that that woke me up that shook me up like oh my gosh there's something out there there's a god out there who sees me and maybe life is not just a cycle of being rejected and then begging for love and then being rejected again you know and for me i i see that in so many of the people i serve and i see that like the sense that feeling of rock bottom that feeling of it it cannot get better how can i move forward when i can't forget this how will I ever not be affected by the things that they did to me or said to me? And I I felt that. I lived that. I felt like there wasn't a world in which I could be free of my past pain um, until I went to therapy, until I saw, you know, um, someone who cared about me, someone who was impartial, someone who had professional wisdom to impart to my life. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. And I want to do this for people who look like me. There are so many people who can, you know, relate to and see and feel and hear some of their own stories and what you've been vulnerable and brave enough to share, right? And, you know, particularly working in in news and in media, it's heartbreaking the alarming rate at which we're reporting on these tragic stories, these beautiful young lives lost, you know, taken in these moments when you really feel like, the only course of action for you is um, is suicide is is to to end yeah. your life, you know, and you know particularly as those conversations start to come out into um, the public discourse more, and the stigma starts to be removed or at least encouraged to be removed. Uh, I'm curious to know how do you feel about that, knowing how personally uh, you've been affected by struggles with depression and anxiety. What do you think about sort of the current culture? We know that 
particularly young people, Gen Z and younger, are struggling with depression and anxiety at alarming rates. Um, What is your perspective on that as a licensed professional and also as a human soul who has dealt with those same feelings? Absolutely. That's a fantastic question. You know, um, I said this to a friend the other day. The pandemic was like an earthquake beside in a place that like was near a body of water. And if you know anything about like weather, if there's an earthquake near a body of water, a tsunami is coming and you may not see it until it just appears, until it's there. Right. And I think that. Um, the pandemic in many ways was the earthquake. Yeah, were there problems? Absolutely. But I think that um, the pandemic exposed those problems. And now like the truth of what many of us have been carrying is just like rising to the surface. And as a clinician, it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. And I think that's why resources like my book, I think that's why platforms like yours matter because, you know, the work of suicide prevention doesn't start when someone says, I don't want to live. It starts with that person's very life, their humanity, with their mourning, with how people speak to them, with how people respond when they're in distress or experiencing sadness, how people respond to the mistakes that they make. And I like to, I like to remind people that suicide, suicidal ideation doesn't just come out of like, I'm so overwhelmed. I, you know, I want to take my life. But it really does start with these little chips, these little like moments that just kind of chip away at your soul. And also suicidal ideation is deeply tied to fatigue. We're tired. A lot of people are just tired, tired of the performance, tired of the expectations, tired of the hustle, tired of the hurt and the pain, the rejection. And I feel that I know that, you know, on a human level, on a heart level. And I'm simultaneously grateful that people are starting to speak up, but we have to start caring about people before they're in dire situations. We have to start caring about ourselves before um, it's a life or death moment because the everyday moments that we gloss over are life or death moments. Those are seeds of life or death moments. And so for me, um, for the people who feel like life is hopeless and nothing can change, there's something so powerful about getting connected to other people. Like when you break down the word encourage, it literally means to impute and to infuse courage. That means you have to be connected to another person. That means you have to be connected to someone who has a different perspective. Um, And in the middle of my stuff, there was no other perspective other than my pain until someone else came in and was like, there's more. And um, I hope that this podcast for whoever's listening is that voice saying like, there's more and joy is possible. Yeah. You saying that we gloss over the everyday life moments and those are the life or death moments. It, it hits so hard. It's so true. Right. You know, I, I think about this often. It's so easy. And I've said it publicly and particularly um, around the time when the public conversation picked up with Twitch's passing and, you know, everyone had an opinion and a perspective. But what I what was on my heart to get across was, you know, we always say, oh, call this number. If you, if you need help, oh, just reach out to a friend, like people will listen, advocate for yourself at work, go to your boss and tell them you're struggling with this issue or whatever. But until there are systems in place, 
And I'm talking at an an infrastructural level where people feel safe in the day-to-day of their lives, right? That I, I want to yeah. feel safe Monday through Friday, Saturday through Sunday, showing up in these pa- these places, these systems, yeah. uh, particularly in corporate and work environments. Also, where I can trust that if I show up in a moment of vulnerability or pain or fear about what I might even do to myself or how yeah. I'm feeling, that, um, that I'm safe, that I'm protected, yeah. that I'm supported. It's one thing to say, we're quote unquote here for you to kind of give the spiel that we're all supposed to give each other. It's another thing to actually actively show up. And I think a lot of us, you know, and in, in certain moments, myself included in the past, have struggled to figure out how to show up for the people that we care about and love in a way that, um, actually supports them and Mm -hmm. also feels appropriate and, um, possible for us. And sustainable. And sustainable. What what do you recommend when it comes to showing up for one another in the everyday life moments instead of glossing over them? It's a great question. I I feel tempted to say, you know, ask for what they need. And, you know, I feel tempted to just give the surface interview answer. But like I think one of the hardest things about healing and being connected to other people in their broken seasons and their hard seasons where they're processing their trauma, their pain is like truly loving yourself and loving other people in their hard moments is going to require you to restructure your life. You cannot live the American dream and live well. You have to choose. Ooh, ooh, wait, say that one more time because I just got a whole chill. You cannot live the American dream and live well. And what do you mean by that? Yeah. I I think so many people want to scale the corporate ladder. They want to get the 30 under 30. They want to get all these things. They want to get all these things that require fast-paced life, that require deep sacrifice of time, that require disregard for everyday bodily needs like rest, hydration, time of silence, like all the things that we glorify in our culture requires us to betray ourselves. You like it's a real thing that like we cannot work nine to fives, do extracurriculars regarding our jobs, show up at all of our kids' games, support all of our friends, get eight to ten hours of sleep, eat healthily three times a day. Like it's just wow. not possible. You know, and I think that like a lot of us are trying to figure out how to support other people when we can barely support ourselves. Mm. And that's when that resentment comes in, when we start to offer people something of ourselves that we haven't even received from ourselves, we start to be annoyed with their pain, frustrated Mm. with their progress, like irritable that it's not moving faster. Why aren't you over this? Why aren't you getting over this? Why aren't you doing this? And the truth is like the frustration that we are projecting on them is really a frustration that is rooted in the inability for us to give ourselves what we need. And so when we are trying to meet someone else's need, we feel frustrated at them because we're like, I I don't even get this and I'm giving this to you. Right. Like my husband and I have this, um, this idea, this system, this um, infrastructure in which we've built our lives. We are first individually filled up. After we are both individually filled up, the overflow goes to our marriage. Mm. 
When our marriage is filled up, the overflow goes to our kid and our, our kids in our household. Once our kids are filled up, the overflow goes to the rest of the world. And a lot of us have like, we have like a couple drops in our personal cup and then we're pouring like two of the four drops into a relationship. And then it's like, everything has just a little bit. And so when crisis hits, there's no part of our lives that can sustain such a demand. Right, right. Ooh, you are preaching right now. I mean, when you said, you know, that, there can be frustration around someone else's sadness or fears because there's resentment, right? Because you feel like, well, my cup is empty too. And I'm over here trying to fill you up with my non-existent, you know, uh, liquidity, whatever you want to call it. And like, I'll be honest, I've, I've felt that too. And I think a lot of people can relate to it. And for you to um, give a voice to that is real because I think there can be shame. I've felt shame around my own resentment for having to continually show up for someone in a moment when I really didn't have it in me to show up for them. And I didn't even understand at the time. I have through reflection and therapy and all of the things and you articulating it so beautifully that the resentment came from not me wanting to not wanting to love them, not me not wanting to show up for them. It was yep. not loving and showing up for myself in that chapter and yet still being expected to be this all-encompassing savior to someone else when I hadn't even yep. saved myself. Yep. Absolutely. And so we have to like if we are deeply committed to wellness, wellness that allows people to live and have a will to live, a will to like look at the future and see good things instead of more exhaustion. Like you're right. It is a societal structural thing. And in many ways we get to contribute to that through things like voting and advocacy, all those things. But like on a micro level, it starts with us structuring our lives enough that we are well that I'm okay. Having to say like, I have time to do this, but I will not do that because that is not what's going to help me be well in the future. Having to say no to certain things or yes to certain things. Deciding that therapy is a non-negotiable. Deciding that um, spending time with certain people is non-negotiable. Like setting those boundaries. And, you know, I was telling a client the other day, boundaries never start with limits. Boundaries start with needs establishing what needs need to be met and then setting the limits of the ways that we can protect the environment in which those needs can get met. Right. And so, you know, I think that a lot of us are tired. We are tired. Tired, exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're, we're tired. And it's especially those of us who are constantly serving people in our work. You know, and it's like, you know, it's it's easy to be like, oh, this is just a podcast. But like no one sees all the people we had to serve before we got on these mics. No one sees how much of ourselves we literally contractually have to give to other people day in and day out. And we're tired, you know, and we deserve rest. We all deserve rest. We deserve to not have more burdens put on us, but more peace Um, offered to us. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know, that sentiment, that's exactly why I created this podcast, right? A decade of just go, go, going, hustle, hustle, hustling, um, giving what I had to give, but being exhausted and resentful and burnt out about all of it. Um, it was just like this idea of best life burnout that I, I started calling it because it's like we'd all been conditioned to chase our best life, chase our best life, chase, chase, chase. And yeah. We're just over it. We're all, I think, collectively, um, the zeitgeist is even moving in the opposite direction of rest and play and just being still um, because we are, to your point, tired. What I what I really appreciated hearing you say just now was, you know, boundaries, right? So many people think of it as um, restraint and limiting and pushing down and Fences going up and you can't cross my boundary, boundary, boundaries. But I yeah. love that you say that it comes from a place of need of just acknowledging what you need first and then creating yeah. the systems that allow those needs to be catered to and prioritized. When yeah. you mentioned that, I don't know if hierarchy is the word, but that uh, <laughs> 
flowchart for for your family dynamic, right? And you needing to feel uh-huh. first and then it going to your spouse and then the children. Um, I'm curious to know how intentional, I assume it was intentional. Uh, so how yeah. intentional were those conversations? Was it always like that? And what had to happen to make it change if not? Because there are a lot of people listening right now, probably side-eyeing their husband or their wife or their partner or their <laughs> kids, like taking notes or ready to figure out how to instate that in their own lives. How was that for you? Oh my goodness. I think we got to that place where my husband really, we knew something had to change. Like we've been having conversations for a couple of months of like something has to change. Like we're just tired. We're exhausted. We're burnt out. All the things. And, you know, he had been thinking about it and we were like, what is the core problem that we're constantly dealing with? And the core problem was we were giving to other people what we hadn't yet given to ourselves. Mm. That was true of our relationship together. Like we were like pouring out as a couple, but then also individually, like I was pouring into him what I hadn't given to myself and he was pouring into me what he hadn't given to himself. So it was like this like system of clear desire for generosity, but not in order, not in a way that was ordered for peace and not in a way that resisted um, resentment, yeah. you know? It was it was real easy to be like, I just took out the dishes, so <laughs> can you put... Well, I right. put this kid down yesterday. Can you do this one? Well, I have to go to this meeting, and I have to... And just being clear to say, like, hey, this is what I need today. This is what I can offer you today, because I need to take time to do this. Yeah. And him being able to do the same thing, and it... it it changed the game in my life because it also made me a priority in my life and not other people's feelings and expectations of what I should do with my life. Right. You know, it's really easy to slide. Like it's a slippery slope from service to like, um, enslavement. Right. <laughs> like I'm serving these people. Yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, everything you do is filtered through what would they think? What would they feel? Will they be upset? Right. Right. So we like kind of just like took those barriers and we were like, okay, like everything before we're doing anything out there, we got to make sure that we are overflowing, not just like, oh, it's sufficient. I mean, filled to the brim and we have more than enough overflowing as in when other people get it, we're still filled up. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was- so that is, that is an important sort of distinction to make, right? Not just filled enough to share and have less of a cup for yourself, but yep. to be so overflowing in it that even after we give some of it away, we are still filled to the brim. Yep. Wow. I've never, I don't think yep. I've ever thought about it like that, honestly, until this moment. Yep. Yep. And that's the example we want to set for our kids. Mm. You know, like I, I shared this on TikTok. Like I don't make my son share. If it's Tell his toy. More. We, if it's we, his okay, toy, I don't make a hot take, Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> If it's his toy, I ask him, do you want to share this? He has a little brother. And if he says no, then the answer is no. He does not have to give you something just because you asked for it. And we had this this moment of like complete parental pride. Uh, (laughs) We walk into the daycare. My husband walks into the daycare. And 
believe I had this toy. My son had this toy and this kid came up and took the toy. And my son said, I actually want that back. And the kid said, well, you need to share with me. And my son said, no, thank you. Maybe I'll share another time. But right now I want my toy back. I, I was Listen, <laughs> And uh, he's four. I was like, you better be setting a boundary and not even, is he in kindergarten yet? Like what? Not yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it, it like for us, like so many of us have been taught that our existence is only in service to other people mm-hmm. that when no one's around, we, we don't even like existing. Mm. We're just like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I like. I don't know what I want to do without the input or the feelings or the pressures or the guilt yeah. of other people, you know, and like, one of my favorite, favorite like guiding principles is that there's two types of guilt. There's a guilt that comes from not acting in alignment with your values. And there's a guilt that comes from anticipating other people's disappointment. Mm. And so when I do something for myself and I feel a sense of guilt, I ask myself, what guilt am I feeling? Am I feeling guilty because I'm doing something that I really shouldn't be doing? Or am I feeling guilty because I know other people are not going to like this? Okay. And what and happens if we know it's the, the latter? What should we do or consider? Ooh. Okay, <laughs> we're getting really deep now. So oh, that's where I like to be. <laughs> if it's the latter, we can engage in this idea of emotional vaccination, right? So the principle of vaccination is that you expose a person to a small dose of the virus. So when the virus comes in a bigger dose, the body is prepared to fight it off, right? When we emotionally vaccinate, we allow ourselves to entertain the emotional reality of other people's disappointment before it comes. Mm -hmm. So that when it comes, it doesn't surprise us. And when it comes, it doesn't shock us. And oftentimes when we're not shocked, we're not controlled. When we're not shocked, we're not reflexive. We're not shocked. We're not impulsive. So sitting and saying, I'm going to make this boundary. This person's probably going to be upset. They might say this, I'm going to feel sick to my stomach. I'm probably going to start sweating a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel a little bit nervous, like talking to them. I might stutter a little bit, but the reality is this is what I want to do and I can do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Building up that tolerance to get through the hard part, rip the bandaid off. Emotional Mm -hmm. vaccination. That is the first time that I've heard that phrase, but I love it. Wow. Yes. That's an amazing psychologist, Dr. Becky Kennedy. She, I learned it from her and it's stuck with me ever since. Okay. Ooh, Kope, hold on. Cause I'm, I am, (laughs) (laughs) I am in real time processing all of this new information in a way that is so exciting for me. You know, we have these conversations all the time on the podcast. We have incredible guests, but to in real time, I am so it's, I'm having to remember Zuri podcast host vibes. Like we have a bunch of talking points we have to get through because you are dropping so many gems that I'm wanting to sit with and uncover. And I know everyone listening is feeling the same or that so many people listening are feeling the same because a lot of, you know, the high achievers, particularly high achieving women, We've been so conditioned to be everything to everyone, right? So I know there are a lot of people pleasers who listen to this podcast. I am one of those recovering people pleasers. And so to hear these um, remedies, resolutions for our people pleasing in a way that takes back our power, 
I have had nonstop chills for the last five minutes. I can't wait to go replay my own episode of this podcast with you yes. and <laughs> with, with the wisdom that you're imparting. Um, you know, the, the, the title of the book, Why Am I Like This, right? Yes. I think that's a question we've all asked ourselves a thousand times, particularly in our darkest yeah. moments or the moments when we would rather be anything except who we seem to be in that yeah. moment. Why did you why did you title the book Why Am I Like This? Uh it's a question I've asked myself many a times, uh, whether jokingly or through tears. Mm-hmm. You know, like why am I like this? Or like, why the heck am I like this? Right. And it's something that I recurringly hear from my clients, you know, and I I realize a lot of healing starts with helping people understand why they are where they are validating this is how you got here. These are the influences that made you want to people please. These are the things that made you feel like you weren't enough. These are the lies that you've adopted and now apply to your life and your relationships. And so before we even like do the whole, okay, moving forward and like, who do I want to be in the future? A lot of it is locating why am I like this right now? And when we figure out where we are, we can get a better perspective of who we want to become. Mm, okay. When it comes to figuring out who we are, this book would be a great first yeah. step for someone who hasn't, you know, maybe delved into that. What do you recommend we do consider? How should we be sitting with ourselves to figure out why we are the way we are? Why do people tend to be the way they are? I mean, we always go back to parenthood, you know, or parenting yeah. our childhood. Yeah. Oh, Great question. Again, this is why you do what you do. <laughs> it's what so, I'm here for. <laughs> I I really like tangible things that people can like go and do. So I don't want to give like theory. I want to give an actual activity that any person listening can do. Um, so I want you to think about any moment of your life that has been disappointing and that your brain references um, throughout different seasons of your life. Right. So okay. usually we have a current pain and then our brain is like, it's just like when this person blank or it reminds me of when this person did this or it reminds me when I didn't experience this. There's always like this moment our brain latches on to over and over that is like a reference, like the key reference for a specific narrative in our life. Right. Right. Trauma is not just the experiences that we've had. Trauma is what the experiences we've have have left us with. Mm. Right. And the truth is those experiences have left us with a distorted perspective of ourself and the world around us. That's why we need healing. That's why we need restoration. And so what I ask my clients, um, like when I'm doing the trauma work with them, I usually say, okay, when you have a really difficult moment, when you are deeply disappointed, if I were to say I am blank and you fill in the blank, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Mm, If I'm feeling disappointed? Yeah, when you're feeling disappointed, heartbroken, like something just absolutely devastating has happened. Mm-hmm. And you're just down on yourself and you're just not feeling the best, right? Mm-hmm. For some, it might be, I'm unworthy or I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. No one cares about me. Mm-hmm. No one actually wants to be with me. I'm going to be alone forever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm, right? right and and the the like if we took the i'm gonna be alone forever and we like filtered it down to our im statement it could be many it could be i'm unlovable 
Yeah. It could be I'm desi- I'm undesirable, mm-hmm. right? And so now we know what we have just identified as the negative core belief, mm. which is the fuel and the engine of our lives. You don't see the fuel tank. You don't actually see what's going in the fuel tank. You see the little lever, you <laughs> stick it in the car, and you just see the fuel going in. You don't see That's the it. fuel. The negative core belief is the fuel to our lives, the fuel to how we interact with the world. It's the subconscious driver of how we interact with the world around us, right? And so a lot of us don't realize that we are walking around with a life fueled by this lie, right? That's what I love about negative core beliefs. When you identify the negative core belief, you identify the lie, Mm. right? The lie is that I will be alone forever. Yeah. The lie is that I'm unlovable. I'm unwanted. Um, And you begin to interact with the world through the lens of that lie. And it's not an obvious way. It's not like you walk with your head down, but you might enter into a relationship. And as soon as things start getting good, start thinking about what's wrong with this person for liking you because in your brain, you're unlovable. Right. 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 Or it might be you finding a way to get out of this relationship because you don't want them to discover that you're unlovable, mm. right? This subconscious thing that drives our lives. And why I love trauma work is when you discover the lie, then you know what the truth is. Mm. Because the negative core belief, when you invert it, is always the truth about who you are. It's always the most powerful truth about who you are, right? Mm. If you feel like you are unlovable, it's actually because you are deeply lovable. It's actually because you're probably widely loved, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Trauma takes the inverse of our core identities and serves it to us on a platter, leading us away from the destiny that we're created for. Mm. Mm. Right? And Yeah, continue, please, please. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, and oftentimes like we feel that tension, yeah. We feel that tension of like, I feel I'm lovable in secret, but everyone keeps telling me how much they love me. Everyone right. keeps telling me, but I just can't believe it, but I just can't take hold of it. I can't, I feel like I can't grasp it. Right. Um, and so my job is to help people identify the lie, identify the truth, and then figure out the path, the unique individual path that will lead them from the lie to the truth. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules 
day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When it comes to the truth, right, the inverse of that Mm -hmm. lie, for folks who might be listening and being like, yeah, that could be true for some people, that they are worthy or they are lovable or they are whatever. But I'm telling you right now, that's not the case for me, right? For the person who's listening and might feel that. What would you say to them, though? Like, is this, in your opinion, and at this point, I don't know if this is more of a spiritual question or a professional Mm -hmm. question um, in the Mm -hmm. context of licensed therapy, but why is that true? Why is the inverse true? Why is it true that we are worthy, that I am lovable, that I am worthy? Why? Why does that have to be true? Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's both a clinical and a spiritual question because you exist. Mm. Right. And and the reason why I can say the inverse of what your negative core belief is is the opposite of the truth is because we are all uniquely made and all uniquely um, have unique perspectives. And there's a reason why that lie hurts more to you than it would to anybody else. Mm. Right. Like one lie has different values to every person. Right. But there's a reason why I lie that would have another person ready to spiral. Yes. Oh my gosh. Perfect. Perfect example. The truth is the, the, the lie that feels most piercing to you has a value to you for a reason. Mm. And oftentimes that reason is because the inverse is true. The depth of the pain that the lie causes reflects the value of the truth of who you are. It hurts so badly because it's the very antithesis of who you are. That's why that lie hurts you so badly. Wow, wow, wow. Ooh, I just need a second to just sit with that. I mean, it's it's so real. And like I I know this in my heart of hearts, right? Like that's been a part of my journey, but it's it never gets old to hear it. And we all need the room, even those of us who know it and are in the middle of the work, and Lord knows I'm a bajillion light years away from where I'm trying to get. 
with my own yeah. work. And it's like those reminders feel good to hear to to everyone, to myself in this moment. Like I am appreciating that reminder um, that when I struggle, even with my own limiting beliefs, that it is highly likely that the inverse is true. And for whatever reason, that is the thing that I'm working so hard to reject. Um, yeah. I wouldn't put that much energy into it if it didn't matter, if it wasn't true, if it wasn't something that I actively felt I needed to reject because of something in my past that's happened to yep. me or because of what I was conditioned to believe about myself. Wow. Yes. And mm. for those people who are like, how do I, how do I start like the work in micro bits? Like, so we identify the moments that lead to the emotional state that reveal the lie. Right. Yeah. And you might yeah. want to like go back and listen to that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the inverse of the lie is your positive core belief or some call it an adaptive belief, okay. your positive core belief. And now, so what do I do with this positive core belief? I know what it is. It doesn't feel true. Okay, now what do I do now? Well, part of what trauma does for the sake of safety, it keeps our our internal alarm system on, meaning it keeps us ever wary of the things we're most afraid of and therefore most attuned to the things we're most afraid of. Therefore, we see most of what we're afraid of, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we see the most because we're attuned to it the most because it's what we're most afraid of. And so what I do with some of my clients is like start by, write down your positive core belief and write down every moment, even if it was like super tiny, where even for a second, that positive core belief felt true. Mm. And as you write them down, you're going to start to realize, oh yeah, that was there. But your brain didn't latch onto that the way it latched onto the lie because the truth wasn't a threat. Mm. And so the threat didn't require that much attention because that's what trauma does. Trauma latches onto negative thoughts and negative experiences so that it can hold on to the threat, understand it, and then use it as a protective factor in the future. Exactly. You know, like they, we always hear this, our minds are meaning makers, right? And if we've been hurt or traumatized in the past, our, our main course of action is how do I protect myself from that experience yep. again? How do I avoid that at any cost? And so we perceive um, interactions, encounters, experiences that could be affirming our positive uh, truths, right? Those tr- The truths mm-hmm. of who we are. And instead, yep. we're actively rejecting it and looking for like that tiny little crack in, in the delivery of a truth that might actually mm-hmm. mean this is a threat. It, see, I knew the lie was a lie. Like I, I know how to protect myself yep. from this. And this is the part where mm-hmm. I shut down or I self-sabotage or I pull away yep. instead of embracing that maybe what is true is what's being presented to me right now. Absolutely. Our brain loves the idea of safety, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes safety will leave you stuck in the lies that break your heart. Mm. Okay. So obviously this is something that you dive deeply into in the book. What else uh, do you sort of uncover, delve into? What work can people expect to drum up uh, through reading? Why am I like this? Yes. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite chapters of the book is the chapter that goes over triggers. Mm-hmm. And helping people understand that triggers are not your your fault, but they're not they are your responsibility. They're not your fault. You didn't make it happen, and you can't control when they happen, but you can control the life you live after you experience them. 
right? And so um, I have an activity in the book that you'll have to get to do mm-hmm. that's called Trace Your Triggers. And it really helps people understand the value of emotions. Like when you are triggered, what emotion comes up and what is that emotion communicating to you? Because all emotions are messengers, right? What to do with those emotions, oftentimes movement, deep breathing, connection to other people, solitude, and then also understanding like, what do I do with this trigger and how do I decrease the intensity of these triggers? A lot of people just kind of feel like I'm going to be triggered forever. (laughs) You know, I'm triggered. It is what it is. But like, that's not true. We can slowly through safety and tenderness, not harshness and meanness, Mm -hmm. teach our bodies that we're safe enough to try new things, to be in new environments, and to interpret the world around us differently. So that's like my favorite part of the book. Mm, Okay. Um, I'm curious to know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, this is is your life's work in this moment, and, and you're a licensed therapist at this point, you talked about your journey uh, to where you are now. What was the catalyst to you getting into this line of work? You know, you mentioned the, the depression and the anxiety, your experience in college. Um, before college, had you been in therapy? Were there any conversations around mental health? Was there stigma around it for you personally? Oh, yes. <laughs> so yeah. there was a lot of stigma. I was not in therapy before all of this. Um, you know, after my suicide attempt, what happened was like, I had this moment and I felt so connected to God and like gave my life to Christ, all this stuff. And then I was depressed again. Mm. And I was like, something's not right here. And I was just like, what's going on? And there was a reality that I just wanted, I wanted my faith to somehow absolve me of my humanity. And like the reality is I'm a human being who has experiences that were deeply wounding And I'm going to have to live out a healing process, a life of healing, a journey of healing. Um, And that's the only way I get out of it. Like, you know, and so it was me going to therapy and honestly being in a small town where I couldn't find a therapist that looked like me. Mm -hmm. Like my therapists were incredible and they helped me in ways I cannot even put words to. And yet I hungered to have a therapist who understood my jokes. (laughs) <laughs> you know, right. who, you know, didn't look at me kind of crazy when I, my hair came in. Uh, I came in with different hair. You know, yeah, like, oh, she's different. It's like, a scarf on. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> my therapist knows. Yeah. I uh, I see my therapist virtually and I have a bonnet yeah. and I'm laying Listen. in bed. And have my that is safety. Yeah. That is peace. I will take it. Uh-huh. I will take it. <laughs> Uh, And so for me, getting into the space was about, like, I think that there are people who look like me, people Mm -hmm. who believe in God, and even people who don't but believe in something, Mm -hmm. who are trying to figure out how to be connected to something outside of themselves and live in the world we live in with the pain that they're carrying in their bodies. And so I was like, I want to understand this. So I went to therapy for several years. And then after a while, I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah. And then went to school for therapy. Incredible. You know, you brought up faith. And I think it's um, such an important part of this conversation for so many people, myself yeah. included, right? Like growing up in a Christian household and, you know, kind of experiencing faith in a very like unquestioned way. Like I just, I grew up, I'm a Christian and this is what we believe yeah. or whatever, you know? And, and, and then I got to a yeah. point where I found it for myself. And so like that commitment to yeah. faith in college became a choice. And then on the other mm-hmm. side of that came the um, 
the disillusionment, like for a brief chapter when it's like, wait, this, this won't fix everything. This isn't enough for me to not feel traumatized, not feel depressed, not feel anxious always. Like, and that was when I had to get real with myself and figure out there's gotta be a, a, a way to have my faith and cling to it while also actively supporting my own growth and yep. um, work in a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not scientific. It's uh, in a more evidence-based, ev- ev- you know, and, and I even hesitate, like <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the deep down Christian in me, like from eight years old, I was like, we don't need evidence. We don't need, you know, <laughs> oh my God. yes, we do. Yes. Yeah. And y- that's exactly yeah, it. No. like evidence-based work to complement my faith-based practices. Just, yeah, that's something I think yep. that I had to reconcile. And I think a lot of people who grew up in, you know, traditionally very spiritual, specifically Christian in my case, um, households have to reconcile. Like they're not mutually yeah. exclusive. Both can exist together. Yeah. And th- they almost always do. You know, like I, it's funny, I was telling another clinician, I have quite a few Muslim clients because the way that I approach mental health and faith, they're like, I can resonate with that. I get that. I understand that. I have clients from all religious backgrounds because the truth is we all believe in something, even if the only thing we believe in is ourselves, you know? And so like, there's a reality that I also had to learn, this was a process of me healing and healing was not, um, didn't exclude my faith. I had to ask myself questions and say, the truth is the way it was taught to me, the way it was presented to me did not actually work. Mm. That was so hard mm. to say out loud. It, it did not work. This There has to be more of God than what was presented to me. Mm. There has to be. And that's what actually led me into the science and led me into the studies and led me into the like, oh, there is something that biologically changes when we put words to our emotions and say something out loud, right? right? It's a, The principle is called name it to tame it, right? Mm-hmm. It, our right side of our brain connected to our emotion sends off calming signals to uh, the left side, rather the left side of the brain sends calming signals to the right side of the brain when we put words to our emotions, yeah. right? That's why we should talk about it. There's like, and I could nerd out, but like I went into all of this because the truth was I was like, God has to care about my pain. And a lot of what I was taught about religious system is like, God cares about your pain if someone put their hands on you. Mm. And it's like, no, God cares about the pain that's caused by the words that people speak to me. Mm. Like, the part of the brain that metabolizes physical pain is the same part of the brain that metabolizes emotional and social pain. Getting hit is no less painful than someone speaking ill over you. Right. It's painful. Yeah. You know, it hurts. People's words hurt us on a biological level. Um, And and now more than ever, we get people's words left and right all day, every day. As soon as we log on, everything they think about us. Yep. Every single thing. What are you doing? You shouldn't say that you're, and like, I have, I have a, a, a no tolerance for foolery. (laughs) If I even feel like you said something kind with a spirit of condescension, you're blocked and you never get a chance to come. Okay. See, that's just like, I, I I I cannot, 
Yeah, I can't be emotionally distraught for my kids because it's something you you commented at 7 a.m. in the morning. Right, right. Not happening. You know, and so, yeah, this book is for this book is for every person who believes in God because they've experienced Mm -hmm. because they felt like there's a God out there. But it's questioned is the way that people have taught me about God good for my mind and my body. Mm. And I dig a lot into that, that like, no, God is not over here trying to beat you and punish you. God is giving you comfort. God is giving you peace. God is giving you grace. God, for me, God was the only place I found a sense of like rest and joy in the middle of the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I hope this book communicates that to every single person who reads it. Oh, oh, well, the book, it's out April 4th, 4th, April 4th, April 4th. The book is out. Why am I like this? How to break cycles, heal from trauma and restore your faith. Uh, All of the above. Where can we get the book? We can get the book anywhere books are sold. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Target, Walmart, Books a Million, all of it. And, you know, I have this crazy dream as a first time mental health and faith author of getting this book on the New York Times bestseller list. Let's do it. You know, I tell people all the time, like, remember when Twilight came out Mm -hmm. and it was popping and then it was vampires everything for 10 years? (laughs) Well, What happens when a Black woman who talks about trauma recovery gets on the list? Mm -hmm. We tell the industry we want more women of color talking about trauma recovery. We want more women leading us in healing. We want more women of color in the conversation of healing. Who knows pain like women of color? Mm -hmm. And who knows healing like women of color, Mm -hmm. right? And so for me, it, it has meant so much to be able to stand on platforms offered to me like this and say like boldly I want to be on that list and I want you to be a part of the miracle of that happening claim it claim it and I am right there sending you all of the good vibes and the manifestation listen after one hour talking to you I'm like there's no way (laughs) that is not only up from here you have been such a blessing to my audience to this show to me like I am I was excited to talk to you and I love what you're doing. But after this conversation, I am just overjoyed and grateful because you have, you've been a blessing to me. This conversation has moved me in ways that I couldn't have even expected. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. It's been, I love talking clearly. So it's you're been good. a pleasure. You're good at it. It's good. With you and having this conversation. So thank you. If people want to follow you, keep up with you, where where can we find you online, on social media, all of those places? Yes, everywhere online, it's at K-O-B-E-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. So it's at Kobe and then Campbell like the soup. Kobe like Bryant, Campbell like the soup, (laughs) underscore. I love it. Kobe like Bryant, Campbell like the soup, underscore. Kobe, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. All right, y'all, that's it for this week's episode of Hot Happy Mess. Uh, Make sure you all go pick up Kobe's brand new book. Again, it's called Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith, April 4th, wherever books are sold. And I will talk to you next week. Every Wednesday, we've got a new episode of Hot Happy Mess. I'm Zuri Hall. You can keep up with me at Zuri Hall and at Hot Happy Mess in the meantime. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.